Genesis 46, we continue through the life of Joseph. And here in chapter 46 and 47, what we will really see is the end of the life of Jacob. The end of Jacob's life or Israel's life. The Lord gave him a new name as he really dedicated his life to the Lord. After he wrestled with Christ, the Lord gave him a new name. And here we see the ending of his life. In Genesis chapter 45, we'll look there, get proper context, and then run in and through chapter 46. It tells us Genesis 45, verse 26. We'll start there and we'll keep going. It tells us, they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him, all the words which Joseph had said to them. And when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Again, family, our God is so amazing. Our God, he is a God of restoration. He is a God of miracles. He's a God of restoring things that have been taken in our lives. He wants to restore. He wants to do a great work. And again, imagine if you're Jacob here. You haven't seen your favorite son for the past 22 years. And you hear he's alive. What would you do right away? If I'm honest, I'm hopping on the first plane I can get on, right? The first camel ride. Whatever I can get on to get there as soon as possible. But what we are going to see is the insane amount of maturity, humility, and reverence that Jacob has for the Lord. Because in verse 1 and 2 it tells us, So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Again, he hasn't seen his favorite son for 22 years. He thought he was dead. He hears that he's alive. And yet he doesn't just go off impulse to go see his son. He goes to Beersheba first and foremost. And now Beersheba is a familiar place of worship for his dad and for his grandfather. In Genesis 22, 19, Abraham, he stops in Beersheba for a season of his life, sacrificing to the Lord, calling out for the Lord. In Genesis 26, verse 23, Isaac stops in Beersheba, sacrifices to the Lord, calls out to the Lord. And now Jacob will do the same thing, asking the Lord, Lord, what is your will for my life? You see, throughout Scripture, Egypt is a type of this world. Whenever you see Egypt, is the Lord warning us of this world, of sin, of the flesh, of the things that will damage our walk and relationship with the Lord. And now Jacob knew this. Jacob knew that when his dad and his granddad went to Egypt, they were not really acting like themselves, right? When they would go down to Egypt, they would throw their wives under the bus. When they would go down to Egypt, they were willing to give up their wives to foreign kings to be married to, to sleep with. So he knew that there was danger in Egypt even though his long lost son was there. Another important thing for us to know is Jacob was concerned about the spiritual effect that this decision would have on his entire family. You see, Jacob's decision was not just going to affect himself. It was going to affect his sons, his grandsons, his granddaughters, and family. Especially the fathers here. Especially the leaders of the home here. Do you consider the spiritual outcome of the decisions that you make? Not just for yourself, but for your entire family. Again, God's word warns us, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and let forfeits his soul? It's a waste. It's a waste. Your son, your daughter, they get into Yale, they get into Harvard. Amazing, incredible. They walk away from the Lord and now they want nothing to do with you? Was it really that great? Was it really that incredible? You get a job offer, a six-figure, seven-figure job offer. You take it, but now your family breaks apart. You get divorced. Your kids want nothing to do with you. Was it really worth it? 
And Jacob, even though it was something he desired with all his heart to be reunited with Joseph, he still took it before the Lord and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He still stops and communes with God and family. If you're a believer here, that's the way we should be living is to have enough humility and reverence to God that we ask him before we make decisions. So often we just tell him afterwards, right? So often we tell the men and women that have cared for us, that love on us, after we've made a decision, the things that we've done, instead of being wise and asking ahead of time, checking with the wise counsel that God has put in your life, placed in your life for a reason. And really, who that's hurting is our pride. Many times our pride, I got this. I'm the grandpapi de la película, right? I don't got to ask anybody. I'm the biggest of the big. I'm the baddest of the bad. I've gotten here all alone. I need no one. That's foolishness, family. That's not the way we should be living as believers. We should be crying out to the Lord and using the wise counsel around us that the Lord has given us. In verse 2, it tells us God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Again, our God is so personal that he knew him by name. He calls him out by name. And right away, Jacob's heart is, Lord, here am I. Whatever you have for me to do, Lord, I'll do. That's another way of saying, Lord, here at your service. Lord, I'm at your service. Whatever you ask me to do, whether it's to go down into Egypt and see a son who I miss so much or not, Lord, I am here to be obedient to you. But our God is so good. In verse 3 and 4, he comforts him. He tells him, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Again, the Lord comforts Jacob, telling him, hey, I'm going to go there with you. I'm going to be there with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. In this decision, in this difficult land, in this sinful land, I'm going to be there with you. Do not be afraid. And again, the Lord, he's not going to waste words. He's not going to tell Jacob, hey, don't be afraid if Jacob wasn't afraid. Now, maybe Jacob was like some of us men. We think we're tough. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid, right? I'm not crying. It's just, just stuff in my eyes, right? We don't know if that's what's going on with Jacob. But the Lord was working in him, ministering to him. We also know that in Genesis 15, verse 13 through 15, the Lord gave a promise to Abram of the work that he would do through his descendants. In Genesis 15, verses 13 through 15, it tells us, Then he said to Abram, No, certainly. That your descendants, they will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. And they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. Again, all of this was the Lord promising to Abraham, to his descendants, the work that the Lord was going to do. And now the Lord's about to do it. This is the Lord beginning to accomplish what he said, not with his father, but with his grandfather, hundreds of years earlier. And now the Lord's about to do it. Now verse 5, it tells us, Then Jacob, he arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons and his daughters and his sons' daughters and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. We see a lot of flexibility in Jacob here. Jacob, he's not a young buck at this point. And some of us, as we get older, we get more and more set in our ways, right? I'm 32. I realize how set in my ways I am already. And my granddad, maybe not you, but my granddad, I think by the time he was in his 60s, he said, that's it. I'm not getting on another plane. 
I'm not getting further than West Palm Beach or Monroe County. I'm not getting past that, right? Maybe that's you here today. But Jacob at 130 years old is flexible enough for the Lord to say, hey, get up out of your country, take your whole family, and come on, we're moving to Egypt. Family, may we stay flexible. May we stay humble. May we not just tell the Lord, Lord, this isn't my comfort zone. This isn't my wheelhouse, so I'm not doing it. May we stay flexible and open to what the Lord has for us. Again, we're never too old to move for the Lord. Because when the Lord asks us to move, it's for our own good. It's for our own benefit. It's for the benefit of our family. And now if we simply, again, because of our pride, say, Lord, I'm not doing this. Again, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your spouse. It's going to affect your family. The next few verses now gives us the lineage and the count of all the different family members here that are being brought. The first few verses, they tell us all the sons of Leah. If you remember, there's four different wives for Jacob. Totally messed up family, and yet the Lord is still willing to use them. So verses 8 through 15, it gives you all the sons of Leah. This is the first wife of Jacob. It's not the wife he wanted, but it's the wife he got. Later on, we'll talk more about that. The second group of sons is verse 16 through 18, and now these are the sons of Zilpha. Zilpha was the handmaid that Laban gave to Jacob that it was Leah's handmaid. Again, second wife here. Then seven years afterwards, he's given Rachel, which was the woman he truly loved, the woman he thought he was marrying the first time. And there it gives us her sons. And then finally the sons of Bilhah, which is Rachel's handmaid. Again, not God's perfect plan not God's original plan, but our God is so amazing and so incredible that in spite of our sins, the Lord will make his plan. He will make it happen through his omniscience, through his power, and through who he is. We jump down to verse 26, and it gives us a number here at the end of this. It tells us all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives were 66 persons in all. And all the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Again, family, this wasn't just a small trip to Bonita Springs. It wasn't just him and one person. It was 70 people, their families, the food, the herds, the sheep. And that's why they went on the carts that Pharaoh sent with them. Pharaoh, he sent RVs, U-Haul vans with them, right? They're able to get dad, the family, all 70 of them. They pack up and they head for Egypt. And then in verse 28, we see the work that the Lord is doing in Judah. This man that was so hard and so terrible, the Lord begins to use him. And one day Jesus will come from the tribe of Judah. In verse 28, it tells us, Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, so Joseph made ready his chariot and he went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. So he sends Judah first. Hey, tell Joseph we're here. Joseph, he gets his chariot ready. Again, Joseph's brothers, Joseph's dad, they would be used to pickup trucks and tractors. They lived out in the land of Canaan. They were farmers. They had livestock. They had herds of cattle. Joseph, he comes in his Lambo chariot, right? He pulls up right up to them. And you have this man, vice president of Egypt, pulling up in the nicest chariot. He presents himself to his father, and he fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck a good while. You see, family, Joseph loved his father. Joseph loved his father. Joseph missed his father. It had been 22 years since he had seen his dad, probably thinking, I'm never going to see him again. And yet, the dignitary he was, the power, the money, the wealth he had would not affect the love that he had for his dad. And again, this beautiful picture of restoration after 22 years. Family, our God is the same. There are people here that the Lord has restored things in your lives. There's marriages here. They'll tell you, hey, we've been married for such and such amount of years with a two-year intermission, right? Because their relationship broke and yet the Lord restored it. There's people here, they were prodigals, and yet the Lord restored their lives and their walk, their relationships. 
He's restored lives within our family, restored the abuser, the drug user. He's restored us, family. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And one of our greatest hopes of restoration, it's in heaven. That's one of the great hopes, the great joys we have as believers. That if you're here and you lost someone you love dearly, one day you're going to meet them face to face once again. If they were a believer and you're a believer. If you ever had to give up a kid for adoption because you weren't in the right place, one day the Lord, he's going to do that. Before you came to the Lord or even while you were with the Lord, you had an abortion You killed that baby, hey, one day in heaven, there's going to be that meeting once again. But family, that hope, that joy only comes if you walk and live with Christ. That's the only way we get to taste of the Lord reuniting so many different men and women. But now if we don't walk with the Lord, our enemy, what does he want to do? He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy Remember that as we live our lives, you can live for the Lord. He wants to restore what the locusts have eaten. He wants to restore what the enemy's taken away. But the enemy, he's not going to be done till he's completely killed you, destroyed you, you and all your family. Verse 30, after they cried for a while, right? After they had a good hug fest, a good bro hug for a while. Verse 30, it tells us, and Israel said to Joseph, it's kind of weird, right? Now let me die. Since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Jacob here he's saying, man, my life's fulfilled. The son I missed so much. I finally got to see him face to face. Again, Jacob would have been happy if he just found him as a slave in Egypt. He would have been happy. He would have been joyful. But now he's not just a slave. He's not just an ordinary man. He's the vice president of Egypt. He says, hey, my life is fulfilled. My life is all good. Now in verse 31, we're going to see Joseph, he had plans. He had a purpose for his brothers, for his dad, of how to take care of them within Egypt. So we'll read verse 31 through 34. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan, they've come to me, and the men are shepherds. For their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what's your occupation? That you shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock. From our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers. That you may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph, he had a plan. He had spent lots of time with Pharaoh. He knew the culture of the Egyptians. And the Egyptians hated shepherds. Two things for us to pull from this. The first thing, again, as Egypt is a type of this world, the world hates shepherds. Again, we're talking about spiritual things now. The world hates the good shepherd. The world will always hate Christ And any embodiment of Christ. And if you're a man here and you want to be a shepherd, you want to care for others, you want to care for the flock, you want to care for the spiritual well-being of people, truly, honestly, the world is going to hate you just as they hate Jesus Christ. That's looking at it through a spiritual lens. Now through the true culture and what's happening here, whenever shepherds will come into town, things will go missing. If you get what I mean. Wallets would go missing, cars would be on blocks, shepherds, they weren't the greatest types of people. That's why it's so incredible that the first people that are told that Jesus is born, it's a group of shepherds. Again, how the Lord, he wants to minister to the lowest of the low and the highest of the high. But Joseph has a plan. He tells his brother specifically, I know, I know Pharaoh, he's going to ask you, what do you do for a living? When you answer him, say, you deal with livestock. They all hate shepherds. So what do you tell him when you see him? Tell him you deal with livestock. He'll still let you be in Goshen. He'll still, it'll all work to plan. Then we go to chapter 47, verse 1. It says, then Joseph, he went and he told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. One thing for us to know. Notice Joseph 
never brings out the dirty laundry of his brothers. Joseph, he doesn't go to Pharaoh and say, yeah, <laughs> my brothers are here. Remember the one sold me into slavery, beat me up, threw me down a well? Hey, they finally came back. And family, that's how Christ, when he introduces us before the Lord, again, if you're right with God, that's how he introduces you. As perfect, as never sinned. He doesn't say, hey, this is Zach. He grew up in church. He decided to walk away. He decided to go into sin. He messed up. He ate dirt. He finally came back. Hey, this is Zach. No, family, when you're in the blood of Christ, he sees you as perfect. And again, as we see other people, as we deal with other people, if they've truly sought repentance and forgiveness with us, that's the way we should treat them. We shouldn't be calling them by who they used to be, by the terrible things they've done to us. Right? That's one of the worst things you can do in a marriage is bringing up old things from the past, right? We all have our fleshly filing cabinet. Nobody really has filing cabinets anymore for, except for doctors and dentists, right? But in marriages, some people, they have a giant filing cabinet, right? And they go through there. 15 years ago, this is what you said to me. Hey, that's dangerous. That's not Christ-like. Joseph, he never brings up the dirty laundry of his brothers. He just says, hey, man, my dad is here. My brothers are here. It's amazing. He takes five men from among his brothers. He presents them to Pharaoh. Verse 3, just like Joseph said, then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? Right? Imagine Joseph. He's sweating. And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. Again, what was Joseph thinking, right? What are you guys doing? I gave it to you perfectly, what you were supposed to say. You're not supposed to say you're shepherds. And yet the Lord, he's still able to use it. Verse 4, they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Another thing for us to note here is that Joseph is a man in authority because he knows he is a man under authority. Joseph is in authority because he knows he's a man under authority. We know Pharaoh already told Joseph, hey, everything in Egypt is yours. Unless it comes to sitting on the throne, you can do whatever you want in Egypt. And yet Joseph still comes to Pharaoh and he still says, hey, is this okay? Is this fine with you? Again, family, we should have hearts of humility no matter in what position or place we are in. If you got a promotion, you should still have a heart of humility. You should still be under authority. You're a dad, you're a mom, still be under authority. Still have hearts of humility. Right? You're an usher, parking lot, overseer. You're a pastor. Have to have a heart of humility. Have to be under authority. When people say, hey, it's just me and God. I answer to no one. Be careful. Don't really see that in God's word. But we continue verse 5. It tells us, then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph saying, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my flocks. Pharaoh's so happy, he's so overjoyed. He says, hey, if any of them are great with livestock, hey, let them be the herdsmen over my livestock. Verse 7, then Joseph brings his father Jacob in. One of the pastors I was listening to said, man, this must have been so cute, right? Joseph, he's there and he brings his 130-year-old father to meet the president of Egypt. He brings Jacob in. He sets him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? There's two main things for us to see here that are absolutely incredible with the way that Jacob first blesses him and then with the way that Jacob answers him. You see, God's word, it tells us that the greater will always bless the lesser. But in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, I'll turn there real quick. You don't have to turn there. It tells us that by faith, the Lord was able to do some very special things. It says, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Again, Pharaoh, he's the one who's in charge. He's the leader of Egypt. He's the leader of the whole entire world, really. And yet Jacob, a 130-year-old farmer, 130-year-old shepherd that has been living in tents his whole life, is able to give a blessing to Pharaoh. How in the world is that possible? 
You see, family, the most important thing any man can have is being right with the Lord. Is having that relationship and friendship with God. And the Lord, if you're right with God, the Lord, he'll bring different things into your life that you'll be blown away. Lord, who in the world am I to pray with this man? This man's a leader of this nation. This man is a leader of this company. This man has so much money. Lord, who in the world am I to pray over them or to give them a blessing? And again, family, if you're right with God, if you're walking with the Lord, the Lord, he wants to do that to you. Adam Clark, he says, the blessing here spoken of is not simply wishing good wishes for others, which anybody can do, but it's the action of a person authorized to declare God's intention to bestow good things on another. It's not that Pharaoh sneezed and Jacob said, God blessed you, right? That's not what happened here, but... Jacob was able to give a spiritual blessing from the Lord over Pharaoh. You look at Billy Graham. He grew up on a farm milking cows. And yet throughout his life, he'd have kings and presidents, champions in sports, and they would sit with him and ask him, hey, what does God have to say? Family, do you have anyone coming into your life saying, hey, what does God have to say? Do you have a blessing from the Lord? For me, again, that's only going to come if your walk and relationship is right with the Lord. Verse 8, Pharaoh asked Jacob, how old are you? And pay attention to how he answers. Jacob says to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. This is very similar to Psalm 90, verse 12. It tells us, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, the 130 years, for some of us, that seems like an eternity. But for Jacob, it was like a few days. And as you get older and older, it seems like time goes faster and faster. You look at what happened five years ago, ten years ago. Sometimes on social media, there's reminders of what happened this day in 2010. And you go, oh, my goodness, what in the world, right? Guys, time is flying by. Life is but a vapor. It's so quick, so fast. So for us to be able to realize, man, my life is going to go by quick. Am I right with the Lord? Am I walking righteously with the Lord? And he says, my days, they've been few and evil. Jacob, he's had a pretty rough life. When he's young, he has to run out of his house because his brother says, the way I'm going to comfort my heart is by killing my younger brother. He tricked his dad. He tricked his brother. He has to run from the home. Never sees his mom again. Doesn't see his dad until he's much older. Then his future father-in-law tricks him in the marriage ceremony. He thinks he's marrying Rachel and surprise, it's Leah, right? His life gets harder and harder. He has to serve his father-in-law 14 years. You think you have it bad with your in-laws, right? Imagine Jacob here. A lot of, that's a crazy Thanksgiving. I don't want to think what the Thanksgiving is like, right? But his life has been hard. It's been evil. But look how he labels his life, the years of my pilgrimage. The years of my pilgrimage. Family, if you're a believer, if you say you're going to heaven when you die, your life's a pilgrimage. We are not from around here. We're not from around here. I hope as you see the news, as you see social media, I hope you don't feel at home. I hope that you're feeling more and more, Lord, what is going on? This is insanity. I'll read a couple verses. Then after that, we'll turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It tells us in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 15, this is David, greatest king in the history of Israel. He had an incredible palace. And yet he says, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. That's First Chronicles 29, 15. Psalm 39, verse 12. David again says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent to my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner as all my fathers were. Again, family, do you feel at home in this life? Do you feel at home or do you realize, man, I am just passing through. I'm just in my RV trying to get out of here. Trying to get out of town. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it gives us so much hope. Because our friends and family members that have passed away, guess what? 
They're not pilgrims anymore. If they had a relationship and friendship with Jesus Christ, they are home. They've made it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it tells us, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. The moment we're apart from this body, we get to be home with the Lord. And then we are at home. We can rest. There's no more moving. There's no more running around. And in Hebrews 11, it tells us the mentality of these men of faith was that this world was not their home. In verse 9, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, it tells us, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In verse 15, it tells us, And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Tell me, that's amazing. If you're living that life of a pilgrim, if you're living that life of a sojourner, God is not ashamed to say, hey, that's one of mine. God, the creator of the universe, he's willing to say, hey, that guy's with me. That woman, she's with me. Again, family, are we living that righteous life with the Lord? Are we aliens in this world? We're not vagabonds. We're not just walking around with no home. No, we are sojourners. We are aliens. We are pilgrims. We are temporary residents here. We don't have permanent status here. We are on our journey home. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, that if we believe this in our heart, if we're living this, if we're sons and daughters of the king, he tells us the way we should be living. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. And here Peter begs us, he tells us, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, family, if we're that disciple of Jesus, if we are truly going to heaven when we die, we're living as sojourners, as pilgrims. And now what Peter begs of us is to abstain from fleshly lusts, not to play with them, not to mess around with them, not to just indulge in them once a month or once a year. Abstain from them. Stay away from them. Why? Because they're not going to slow down your soul. They're not going to scratch your soul. They're not going to tickle your soul. No, they want to wage war against your soul. Again, imagine if we get home on the news and some country wages war on America. That would be everywhere. Be freaking out. We'd be having to send out the troops. We'd be going into World War III, right? Maybe we're already there. We don't know. But the fleshly lust, they want to wage war against your soul. They want to kill your soul. They want to destroy your soul. So now as you're tempted with temptation, with lusts, don't play with it. You have to abstain from it because it wants to kill you. It wants to destroy you. And that's why Peter is begging them, hey, you have to abstain from fleshly lusts. Don't give in, family. Don't give in to sin. Don't give in to temptation. The enemy wants to kill you. He wants to steal the blessings God has for you. He wants to destroy you and your family. Verse 12 tells us that when our conduct is honorable, even unbelievers, when they speak evil about us, when they see our good works, they will glorify the Lord in the day of visitation. That day of visitation, it's telling us that the day, the moment in time when they should be receiving judgment for their sins, they will instead be receiving the mercy and grace of God because of your good behavior. Family, has someone come to the Lord because of the lifestyle that you live? Has someone, as a result of the way you live, say, hey, I want to follow you as you follow Christ? Parents, your own kids, have they come to you saying, hey, 
Dad, Mom, I want to be like you. I want to have the same friendship and relationship with Jesus that you have. That's what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 tells us, that if we have that conduct, those good works which we should be having as a believer, we're going to be bringing other people with us. We're going to be telling other people, hey, come, be a pilgrim with me, be a sojourner with me. The best really is yet to come. Not in a corny slogan, but hey, heaven is still coming. If you're an unbeliever, the sad truth is this world is the best that you're going to have. This world is going to be the heaven that you get to taste of if you're not right with Jesus. But if you're right with Jesus, hey, this is the most of hell that we're going to taste, guys. That's the joy and the blessing, the privilege that we have as sons and daughters of the king. And that's how Jacob, he says, my life, it's been 130 years of pilgrimage. That's what my life has been. We jump back to Genesis chapter 47, verse 10. It tells us, so Jacob blessed Pharaoh. He went out from before Pharaoh. We already touched on that. Then verse 11, it tells us, Joseph, he situated his father and his brothers, and he gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his household with bread according to the number of their families. We are going to begin to see the wisdom and the obedience that Joseph had for not only his family, but for the whole country of Egypt and all the surrounding lands. You see, Joseph, he's the second most powerful man in all the world. He has access to all the food, all the money, everything. And yet, what does he give his family? According to the number that they were. You see, family, Joseph, he didn't just give a crazy amount of food to his family. He didn't just shower them in food. He didn't just shower them. He didn't show partiality. But as a true man of God, he gave them only what they needed. And there's wisdom there for us. As parents, as dealing with friends and family members, when someone's in need, don't just give them all that you can. Give them what they actually need. Joseph, he could have given anything he wanted. He was the one that was in charge of the factories, of the storehouses, and yet he only gives his family members what they needed. You see, God hates partiality. The Lord, he hates it. In James chapter 2, if you're quick, we'll turn there. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, God warns us of partiality, even here within the church, within the bride of Christ. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then verse 9, it tells us, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes, and you say to him, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or hey, you sit at my footstool. You Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? But now in verse 9, it warns us, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Family, as you see the news as you see the justice that this world is looking for, it is filled with partiality. It is not even keel. And the Lord hates partiality. Just know that. If you're judging one person one way and another person another way, the Lord, he hates that. And Joseph, in all his wisdom, he did not show partiality even to his own brothers and to his own father. So how should we be living? The Lord tells us there in verse 8, if you really... Fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Again, family, you should love anyone. Anyone who is an image bearer of God. You should love them as you love yourself. You should want to care for them and protect them. You should want to preserve life as much as is humanly possible. That's what the Lord has called us to do. Don't show partiality just like Joseph did not show partiality. Romans chapter 2 verse 11, it's simple. It tells us, for there is no partiality with God. Period. End of sentence. Romans chapter 2 verse 11. 
The second thing, second part of wisdom that we see within Joseph is he only gave his family what they needed. He was not wasteful with anything that was given in the charge of Joseph. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16, you can write it down. It tells us, have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. It's a great scripture to put on your refrigerator, I think, right? <laughs> have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. In this world, we are always looking to not just eat what we need, but eat as much as possible, right? As parents, we can fall into the trap of not giving our kids what they need, but just trying to give them as much as we possibly can. And many times it's in a heart of love. We're trying to overcompensate for the physical things we had in this world. But again, be reminded, we're pilgrims. We're passing through. What are you imparting to your kids? Are you consumed with giving them plastic things that we all know in a year from now, three years from now, are going to be gone? Or are we consumed with giving them the things of the Lord? Again, don't be wasteful. In John chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus, he has just multiplied fish and bread. He has fed thousands of people. And when they're all done in verse 12, John chapter 6, it says, So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Men here, husbands here, I'm sorry. Leftovers, they're biblical, right? Leftovers, they're biblical. God, he doesn't want us to be wasteful. Our God does not want us to be wasteful. May we know that Joseph, in the wisdom and obedience that God had given him, he wasn't wasteful. He didn't live in superabundance. He didn't give his family superabundance. He gave them just what they needed. We go back to Genesis chapter 47. We'll be able to go through these last verses a lot quicker. And now it tells us the progression of this seven-year famine. Verse 13, it tells us, Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in all the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Again, the Lord had given Joseph so much wisdom, so much discernment. Joseph actually obeys the wisdom and discernment that now he has all the money, not only in Egypt, but in all the money in the land of Canaan. He's able to gather this for Pharaoh and for all of Egypt. Then in verse 16 and 17, they run out of money. So what do they do? Then Joseph said, give your livestock. And I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. So now he has a ton of livestock. Verse 18 through 20, when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. So now Egypt, they owe all the land except the land of the priests. We'll see that now, verse 21. And as for the people, he moved them into cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them, therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you 
and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it came to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh, four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your household, and as food for your little ones. Now realize here, family, no one is getting anything for free. They want food. There has to be payment. There has to be a trade here within this. And it even came to the point where Joseph said, hey, you want food? I'll give you the seed to plant. You get to keep 80%, and now we'll keep 20% for ourselves. Again, there's just a godly principle that if you want food, you have to work. It's all over Scripture. And now are the people mad with Joseph? Are they angry at him? You've become a warlord. You've taken all the food. You've taken all the land. What is wrong with you? Did they rebel? No. Verse 25, what do they tell him? You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priest only, which did not become Pharaoh's. And again, family, the incredible thing of all this is that within a couple hundred years, the people of Israel would go from 70 people to about one or two million people. And the Egyptians themselves would give all their gold, all their money, all their possessions to these slaves within Egypt. And then they would go on their journey to the promised land. Again, only our Lord could do something so incredible. Now verse 27, we begin to see Jacob or Israel's life wind down. You thought 130 years were bad. We'll see he lives to 147. Verse 27, it tells us, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. I don't think I mentioned it, but there was wisdom with Joseph and there was wisdom with Jacob and the family for them to live in Goshen. You see, they lived out in the farmlands. They didn't live in the big cities in Egypt because they were concerned for the spiritual well-being of the family. He didn't want them to get infected with the lifestyle of the Egyptians. The Egyptians, they had many gods. Frogs were gods. Right? It's kind of weird. All sorts of things were gods. The sun was a god. They believed Pharaoh was a god. And yet they decided, hey, let's live away from the city so that we can live in peace. We can live with our family. And so that they can stay right with the Lord. I think it's something interesting that happens when you're young and you're a kid. I've been there. You just love the city. Love the big city, love the buzz, love the food, love the movies, the music, the stars, everything. But you get a little bit older, you get a little bit older, you get a little bit older, and then you say, man, this is such a waste of time, right? There's new movies every year, there's new music every year, it just gets worse and worse. What in the world is happening, right? I'm paying them for them to now tell me how I should be living, even though they got millions of dollars. What's going on here? Honey, let's move out to the country, right? Does this sound familiar? Let's have lots of land so the kids can run around, so they can have fun, so they can grow up. It's interesting what happens in us, family. That as we get older, wisdom begins to grow and we have less of an appeal for the things of this world. I hope that's what's happening in you. But we see in verse 29, when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and he said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight... Please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please don't bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. There's two great things for us to see here. The first thing is that family, each and every one of us, we will get to the time when we must die. 100 out of 100 people, they die, right? Those are the statistics, right? Those are real statistics. And for us to be ready, Lord, when are you calling me home? Am I ready for that? Lord, or am I even going home? Am I right with you? Am I living in sin right now that if I die, I don't know? 
if I'm going to heaven or not. We have to be ready for that. And Jacob, he was ready. Not only was he ready, but 17 years of living in Egypt. Probably the best 17 years of his life. The whole family's together. All of his sons are finally together. Their grandkids are there. They're living in Egypt. They're living in their own land. Probably the best 17 years of his life. He never lost focus on the promised land. He still told Joseph, hey, I don't want to be buried here. I don't want to be clumped in with the people of Egypt. Bury me in the land of my fathers. Go and bury me in the promised land. 17 years of living in Egypt, and yet Jacob was still focused on his homeland. He was in the world, but he was not of it. Family, that should be us. Secondly, just on a real practical level, tell your kids what you want to do before you pass away. Write it down. Have your attorney write it down. Being a pastor, man, crazy things happen when people don't write down what they want. The kids all gathered together. Hey, they wanted a rock concert. What? They wanted nothing. Okay. They wanted open casket. They wanted no casket. They wanted ashes. They wanted no ashes. They want to be standing up in the middle of the room, right? All sorts of crazy things happen. So wise to write those things down beforehand. Even when it comes out to handing out your possessions afterwards, don't leave a mess for your kids to have to deal with and choke each other over and stab each other over. Don't leave that for them. It happens with believers. Write those things down. Have those things ready. But Jacob, he never lost focus on where his true home would be in the promised land. Then verse 31, Joseph, like a good son, he told him, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Joseph bowed himself on the head of the bed. The next couple chapters, we'll see the blessings that Jacob gives to his kids But family, as we close, again, what is the Lord calling you to? Have you been living too attached to this world? Are you not necessarily living in a tent ready to move, ready to go wherever the Lord is calling you? Again, we just had our retreat. We had a men's retreat. And, man, none of the guys came in with their boats. None of the guys came in with their TVs. It's hard to sleep with 20 other guys in the same room. None of them came in with their king-sized beds and the U-Haul and they tried to move in. Because it was two nights. It was a short, tiny thing. And family, this life, 20 years, 80 years, 130 years, it's going to go by quick. Don't live so attached to this world that you miss out on our true lives, which will be for all of eternity. 